don't have to let God be God. He doesn't need our permission. But sometimes we do have to recognize when He's present. allow him to do what he wants to do and not interfere with that and that's where we are right now in that atmosphere where God is present and we just want to carefully discern where we are and what we've been asking for and be careful not to move too quickly into our protocols Let's thank him one more time. Lord, I thank you. Hallelujah. God, I'm grateful. Oh, I'm thankful, Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I'm grateful, Lord. God, I'm grateful and thankful, Jesus. I'm overwhelmed. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I expressed how good it was to see the, the Riggs family back, and I also want Debbie to know it's good to see you back as well. I, we missed her while she was gone. She's not at full speed yet, but she's on her way, and she's here, and that's a good step back, that she's back here in and, and the healing and recovery process, so it's good to see her here. If you turn with me in your Bibles today to Proverbs 21 and 2, I'll read out of the King James. We have talked about this year, our focus being primarily three areas that in those three areas that we would be looking at relational prayer that we would be in the presence of God and seeking his face and seeking communion with him and seeking his presence more than anything else we also knew that we would be um, looking into and as I spoke about last week about rescuing people that this would be a big year for us to focus on personal evangelism that we would individually be reaching out to people not letting it and allowing it to be a function necessarily of the church but of the church individually that we would uh, be looking into that and the church would be helping to equip you to be able to reach your friends and your family and so this week we turn our attention to proverbs 21 and 2 every way of a man is right in his own eyes but the Lord pondereth the hearts. So today, we ask a question, what do you value? Look at your neighbor and say, what do you value? Now let's all lift our voices and ask God to help us today. Father, I pray that you open our hearts and our minds today. Lord, to help us to be receptive, Lord, to what your will is. God, that we will place our values where you place your values. That you will help us, Lord, to discern your word and apply it to our lives. 
Help us, God, not to set our values based on our own value system, God, but to trust your word and to follow after you. Lord, we give you praise today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Turn to somebody and let them know you're happy to see them here today. Amen. You can be seated. What do you value? It's a it's a question that would probably re, uh, receive a different answer from many of us. The definition of value is the regard that something is held to deserve, the importance, the worth, the usefulness of something. We may say something like, your support to me is of great value. A person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. Last night I looked up the value of gold. Currently it's at $2,031.80 per ounce. Today at Walmart you can buy a gallon of water for $1.34. Which has more value to you? You'd probably say gold. And that would be a reasonable answer. Because you could sell that ounce of gold and probably pay your mortgage. You could go on a vacation, a decent vacation. You could consider putting a down payment on a car. You could even sell that gold bar and buy 1,500 jugs of water at Walmart. However, values can be subjective. They change. It depends on who you are, your life view, your circumstances, your climate, your landscape, what is going on in your life, those values sometimes can shift. Would you rather have an ounce of gold or a gallon of water? Every one of us here today would say gold. But ask a man lost in the woods suffering from dehydration, and he'd pass on the gold and beg for a gallon of water. Gold is of no value to a man dying of thirst. It was reported that 11 millionaires went down on the Titanic. Major A.H. Pinnich left $300,000 in money, jewelry, and securities in a box in his cabin. He said the money seemed a mockery at the time. He later said, I picked up three oranges instead and headed to the lifeboat value. Where do you place your values? As a younger man, I would drive clear across Columbus to save $5 on a car battery. If I could get a better deal on it, I'd drive across the interstate to go to the east side of Columbus to go get a car battery and save a few bucks. I'm 57 years old right now. I'm a dying man. I'm a man that's got limited time. I hope it's a lot of time, but I've got less time than I had behind me. And so I'm a man of destiny. I'm a man of purpose. I'd rather save five minutes than five dollars in this point in my life. I don't have much time left. I got to make sure that my values reflect where I currently am in life. And so to save five dollars right now, I still try to be frugal with my money. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes time now in my life for money 
or time, I'm opting to save time. And so this is a sliding scale that we all deal with and we all have. And so the Bible refers to this and the Bible shows of some areas. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. And so we all have a capacity to, to justify any values that we have. We could justify hanging on to some bitterness. We could justify being angry at somebody because of how we were treated. We could justify different things and shift our values based on the person. We may look at a, per, a certain situation and say it's good to, uh, it's, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. It's not necessarily scripture, but it's not a bad value. But we could make a case unless the person's bad enough and then they deserve everything I have to say about them. And so we have to figure out this thing about values. And in this, the Lord is showing us here in Proverbs that every way of a man is right in his own eyes. We can justify a lot of our behaviors. We can justify shifting our values if we're not careful. Jeremiah talks about it in 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful among all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And so we see that our own heart, we don't even know our own heart. We don't even know what we're capable of. And so the heart is deceitful among all things and wicked. Who can know it? In this we see that values and things of importance could shift and change. We see in this that Proverbs and Jeremiah show me that I cannot trust myself. I can't trust myself, my sense of fairness, my own self-imposed values. Our hearts, our own values may shift and change depending on our circumstances. That's why we must find our values in Scripture that never changes. George Gallup of the Gallup Poll says this, Church attendance alone makes little difference in people's ethical views and behavior with respect to lying, cheating, pilferage, and not reporting theft. For example, equal proportions of the churched and the unchurched admit to overstating income on tax forms. Let me put it another way. Attending church makes you no more a Christian than sitting in your garage makes you a car. It's not just church attendance. It's the application of the conviction and the word of God and the conviction of him speaking to you and changing and molding and shaping you into his image and you getting a Christian worldview based on scripture, not based on your heart or what you think or what I think is right or wrong. Brother Davis taught us early on when you would go to him with a question, it was not uncommon for him to say, well, the Bible says that we would all go, I knew he was going to go there. 
Because I knew if there was a chance, if he felt like, if he's gave me a reason why I could or could not do something, I knew if he would say, I think or I feel, then I could justify that by saying, well, I think and I feel. But the problem is he would go back to the word of God over and over, and he would say something like this, let not your good be evil spoken of, Brother Pelham. I'm 14 years old, and he's calling me, Brother Pelham. Brother Davis, I want to go to this school function. Is that okay? My mom told me to ask you. Well, the Bible says refrain from the very appearance of evil. And so he kept going back to the word. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 says, But continue thou in all things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom you hath learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Children's ministry is important. Teaching your children godly principles when they're children is important. Don't wait for them to become teenagers. Don't wait for them to become young adults. They need to know as children what the Bible says about right and wrong. That from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which thou art able to make thee wise unto salvation. It's not just a Christian worldview. It will help your kids to be saved. That is a big deal. Which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through the faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, everybody say all. In the Greek that means all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, it has value in doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, man of God, a, a, a humanity, not a male only, humanity, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Well, I'm a good guy. I'm a good man. Maybe I am in the world's view, but if I'm going to be good in God's eyes, if I'm going to be righteous on his standard and according to his viewpoint, I have to make sure I know the word of God that I can be thoroughly furnished and to all good works according to him. So doctrine, a good churchy word for teaching and learning. Reproof means to have proof or evidence or conviction. Correction means to correct or to straighten up again. And so the Bible helps us to, to, to learn to, to straighten up. Uh, some of you that may have had older people in your life, some of the older gentlemen would say something like this, you need to straighten up and fly right. What they were saying is you need to recalibrate. You got some stinking thinking. You need, to, you need to, to, to think differently. You need to straighten up. It was not uncommon for my dad to snap his fingers. He had big hands, so when he snapped, it sounded more like a clap. She had snapped those fingers, those big hands at him, and he'd say, straighten up. I knew what he meant. There's something, too, about pulling your shoulders back and doing the right thing. To straighten up and do what you're supposed to do. Be a man. Straighten up. Walk, walk, walk with some integrity. Walk proud. Stand up and fly right. Because in doing that, there's something on the inside that happens that says, I've got to do the hard things. I've got to do the tough things. I've got to do the right things. According to who? 
In our world today, that's a sliding scale. That's why it's important we look back to the Word. Instruction in righteousness. This means instructions in being right and doing right. It's not just important that we do the right things. We want to be right. You see, the tendency is you could check every box and do the right thing at work, do the right thing on your taxes, do the right thing in your family, and still be wrong inside. However, I want to be right in here. I want to be righteous. I want to be the right things that God wants me to be. And then my tendency to do the right things will increase. My tendency to have a desire to do the right things won't be just to save from being judged. It'll be because I want to be right, so I will have a tendency to, to consistently do the right things. Instruction in being right and doing right. So the question is, who are you? Who are we as a church? Who are we as a congregation? What are we known for? What do we stand for? What do we stand against? That's important too. Why do we do what we do? Why don't we do certain things? What are our guiding principles? Is that going to be based on what your parents taught you only? Or is there, is there another standard we look to? Is there another area of integrity that we look to that's even greater than what our parents taught us? And God bless all of us that had good parents that taught us to be moral and to teach us to be honest and teach us to put in a hard day's work and to have integrity in all areas of our life. Thank God for good parents. But at the same time, there has to be something even beyond what our parents taught us because every parent may have some of those things that are different, and that's not what I'm talking about. But there should be some things that we all as believers, all as Christians, all as disciples, that we have a lot of things in common with our values. What are our guiding principles? What is important to us? How do we determine our priorities? What are our boundaries? What common ground should we have with all believers? What are the differences between our individual preferences and our convictions? There should be biblical values that govern our actions. Some God-given core principles that guide our decisions and how we process them. Our core values determine our identity. Your core values determine who you really are, not your title or position. Do I do what I do because I'm a member of this church? I shouldn't. Do I do what I do or not do certain things because I carry the title of pastor? I had some Sunday school teachers years ago when I began to pastor. And they came to notify me that they had let my kids know how they should behave because they're the pastor's kids. I said, thank you for telling me that, but don't ever do that to my kids again. I said, because how they should behave should be because of Christian behavior. Whether I'm pastoring this church or I don't pastor, it should not change how my kids behave. They should do the right thing because it's the right thing. Do not put pressure on my kids because they're pastor's kids. If you want to apply some pressure because it's Christian or not Christian, it's biblical or non-biblical, 
please have at it. But when it comes to putting them at such this lofty level where all the other kids are looking at them because they're the pastor's kids, they should never feel that kind of pressure. They should feel the concern as an ambassador of Christ that they should be Christ-like no matter if I'm pastor in this church or if I'm sitting out there in the seats with you and somebody else is up here preaching. And so my role shouldn't change my values. I should have some values that are consistent and constant. I contend that whatever you see out of our family would not be any different if I was not pastoring this church. If I was sitting out there even now, we would still be what we are. Why? Because we believe this. It is our values. It's not because we're pastor or we're in town, but we have a different set of values when we go out of town and we're on vacation. Our values are our values. This is who we are. This is what we believe. And we follow that. We don't impose more of a value system on it, on us just because we're a leadership family or a pastor family. If it's good enough to do, it's good enough to do whether we're fulfilling a title or not. Core values determine who you really are, not your title or position. Your core values will follow you into your title or positions but it is your core values that define who you are. Positions and titles can come and go in an instant. So what values govern your decisions? What other people think? Well, it's, it's, it's important. I don't, I don't ever want to be the person. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't really want to be that guy. I want to be conscious. I want to have a decent reputation in my community. But I also don't let that be my governing factors because I understand if I'm following him, there may be some people that aren't going to care for me. No matter how much I love them, no matter how much I serve them, no matter how much I, I, I tell them I love them, but there's going to be certain things in right and wrong where i got to continue to be an ambassador of Christ. And being that ambassador and being that man of God, uh, my, my job isn't to make everybody happy. It's to deliver truth and to, to, to do it in a way that is pleasing to God because I don't distort it, but at the same time, do it in a way that's palatable, that's digestible, that it's a way that, that somebody can receive it. But even no matter how well you try to serve it, sometimes somebody may not want to eat it, receive it. How do you know if you're being consistent in your life? What determines your life goals? How do you decide what is right and what is wrong? Do you let the law do that? We're passing laws all the time that are less and less moral. If there's enough tax dollars in it, we'll consider it. I, I contend, I won't even get into this, I contend that there will be more and more things that we will see in our near future that we would never believe that they will legalize. But if they can make a dollar, then who are we to make such a moral decision if we can get some tax revenue? Who are we to pass laws about morality? There will be more and more things that we'll start to see that will become legal because it's moral issues. So we can't let the law government determine what is moral what is right well it's not illegal it may be legal but still not be right 
I, I, I won a trip one time to, to Lake Tahoe, Nevada with a, a bunch of guys in a broker's firm. We, 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 half the office won this trip. And so we were on this trip together and I was amazed at what was legal in Nevada. But it didn't make it moral. It didn't make it right because it was legal. Do you value things? Or do you have a higher value on principle? Somebody told me years ago, and it's a it's a good principle, it's a good value. And I don't know that it's it's, it's scripture, it's probably in principle in, in scripture, but I don't see the scripture. But somebody told me this, and it's and it's a value that I hang on to, and they said this. They said, love people and use things. Don't use people and love things. I thought that was a good value system. It taught me that that I don't really want to love anything that can't love me back. And so do you value things or place a higher value on your principles? Do you have any absolutes in your life? Or is everything subject to change depending on the circumstance? What do you consider moral? What is immoral? Again, if we're not careful, we can go back to those two scriptures I started off with in, in, in Jeremiah and Proverbs, and, and we could find out that we could make a case to justify ourselves in the right circumstance. We follow the law, but if something becomes legal, does that make it okay? What determines your moral compass? My house where I live is on a fairly steep hill. Back of my hill back of my house, the hill there is really at an angle. And, and what I say is, it's not a straight hill that comes towards my house. And it doesn't, if I look out, it doesn't go this way. The reality is the hill goes this way and slopes back to my house. So there's a lot going on there. I went to hang a Martin house back at the very edge of my property that's about uh, 60 yards from the back of my house. And there's just a huge field behind us, 20, 30 acres behind us that's open. And so as I went back there to hang this birdhouse, I dug my hole. I got back there. I got my post hole diggers. I, I, I dug my hole. I got it in about three feet deep. I was getting ready to pour the concrete in. And I thought, you know what? I want to make sure this thing's straight. So I would straighten it this way, uh, looking out away from my house. There's the hill. I'm looking at this way. I think that's straight. And then I would go this way. And, and I would think that was straight. But then I would go back over here and it just seemed like it was like this. And then I'd straighten it again, then I'd go back over here, and then it looked like it was like this. And so I kept going back and forth, back and forth. And so I learned a trick when I worked for the phone company, and that is a lot of times when we were setting a pole, I worked on a line crew. When we were setting a pole, we'd find a house or a building or something in the distance. and, and we Because we would be fairly certain that the corner of a house or the side of a house should be plumb. It should be straight. So we trusted that. Most of the time, that was going to be the case, depending on who your builder is. And so we went in the distance. We'd set the telephone pole, and we didn't always have a level with us. So we'd look in the distance. We'd find a building or a house, and we'd stand up that telephone pole, put some pike poles in it, and straighten that thing up and go this way. And we would work our way all the way around that thing and find structures, find buildings, and then we would realize that thing was straight. I'm telling you. I'm telling you the truth. I looked at that pole and went back into the field area and looked back at that pole in my house and said, I think my house is crooked. Because I looked at this land and I looked at this pole and I said, there is no way 
on God's green earth, this pole is straight up and down. It was just playing mind games with me. I went down to the house and got my mahogany Stanley four-foot level. I said, I was angry. I'm, I'm going to fix this thing once and for all. I got that level. I went up to that pole. I put it on that pole, got it on that level, got it perfect, stuck a two-by-four here and here, got it this way. I went this way, stuck the level here, got it this way, got back, confirmed, perfectly straight. And I looked at that thing, and there's no way that this level's right. If I'm not mistaken, I actually walked clear back down to the house and stuck that thing on the side of my house because I thought they had to have built this house right. I'm actually checking the level against my house to make sure this level's right. I went back there and checked every angle again and then just closed my eyes and just started pouring concrete in. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that your landscape can change. Your heart can change. Your circumstances, what you see, isn't always what you think you see. You, you, you hear that some of the stuff I preach, I didn't get in a book. When I tell you your feelings will get you killed, that's life that happened to me. That's, that's going through life and just having to just trust my level. This doesn't even make sense. This doesn't look, this doesn't, this is, this is, this can't be right. But at some point I had to just look at that level and say, I've, I've verified it. It's level. This still don't look level. It looks crooked. My wife will probably tell you for a few weeks after that, I set up the house. It's set in concrete now. And I'm going, Ugh. but I'm telling you, it's straight. Well, at least it was till the farmer up on the hill was bailing hay and hit my pole and knocked it over. But it was straight. I mean, it was the straightest birdhouse in Pickaway County. I'm telling you. I promise you it was. Because I had to trust something outside of myself, something outside of my view, something outside of my vision, something outside of what I thought was acceptable, something outside of what I thought it should be. I had to trust something to get my value of straight up and down to be plumb, to be straight, to be level. I had to trust something outside of what I felt and what I saw myself. The Bible stays true. It's what we call it when something's straight. Is it true? Sometimes we call it true north. Compass does the same thing. I'm lost. I know we <laughs> we've had we that that property we have in Baker Hill, Alabama, has been in my family over a hundred years. And we had an I had an argument with myself about where is north from that property there because it is so 
awkward getting to it, the roads getting there. That you think everything's, you think all the interstates are straight north and south and straight east and west. They're not. So you need a compass sometimes to find true north. Because you can get turned around. And so the compass is no matter where you are, that thing should be reading right. That's what the word of God is. And it is true and accurate and right. Listen to me. No matter what year it is, can I tell you that a few years ago I was at a trade show um, and got, got into a conversation with a, an individual. And the irony is she had went out with a guy that um, was from this church that you would all know if I mentioned their name. So I won't, just to keep you guessing. So I was there, and so we started talking about the Bible. She was, she was a Christian, and she was talking about the Bible. And she said, well, he really had some whacked views. Well, what she didn't know is he's one of my best friends. So I said, Really? Like what? I said, what kind of whacked views did he have? She said, well, he, he thought that, you know, like, a man should be ahead of the house. I said, really? I said, and um, you don't think they should know they should be equal? Can we just settle this right now? Can I just Can I just tell you my view on this? Um, we're all equal, but we're different. Will that get me canceled if I say that we're different as male and female? We're different, but we're equal. You, you have qualities, ladies, that we don't have. It's just not in our DNA. Typically, right? We're talking typical. You know, I found that out when we started having kids. And our kids would hurt themselves, and they'd come in the house, and there's like a bone sticking out of somewhere, and there's like blood squirting out. And I go, what did you do? Why? Because I'm a dude. I fix things. Well, no wonder they would run right past me, because her first question is, where does it hurt? Come here, let me make it feel better. My kids thank God for a female in the house. Because when they would say, I was outside, Jumping ramps, and, and, and I ran into a tree. You know what I'm going to say? Because I'm a dude, I fix things. Well, don't do that again. That's what dudes do. We fix things. And so, so the, the, what, they didn't, the, what they didn't need is a speech. What they, what they needed is somebody to care. Thank God for women. Thank God that, that, that women have an emotional quotient that's much higher than ours. But also thank God for a man that fixes things. Thank God for a man that doesn't always get emotional, that processes and thinks things through and is a little bit more logical. We're equal, but we're distinctly different. That doesn't make anybody less than. In this conversation, though, there was a there was an order that she was discussing that she didn't think that, that there should be any leadership in the home, that it's all should be equal and all should be she should be uh, just 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 50-50. And I said, well, you know, the Bible does discuss that. And, and so I said, you know, I think he probably has that view. I was kind of coming to my buddy's defense. I said, I think he probably has that view because the Bible talks about that. 
And and so I said, but it also says that a man should love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. I'm talking about a value here, right? And she said, well, I don't think that's for today. I said, really? I said, well, when did that go out? I mean, well, it's just not for now. I said, oh, I understand, but when did when did that scripture become irrelevant? Well, it just doesn't apply today. Here's what here's what I've come to understand. It was good for me to have that conversation with her because here's what I've come to understand. I believe God wrote His values so well that it doesn't matter what year it is. It doesn't matter if I'm if I'm back in the 18, early 1800s and I got a cowboy hat on. It doesn't matter if I've got a top hat on. It doesn't matter if I'm back with the disciples and I got sandals and a robe on. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I think the same values that were that, that are in any year if 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 50 years from now, we're all flying around in George Jetson cars. I think these values are going to stick. I think whatever values he made doesn't is not contingent on what century we're in. I think his values are so plain and so clear that it doesn't matter the, the political climate. It doesn't matter what country you're in. If you're in Ireland, if you're in America, if you're in Africa, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter because I believe that even we, we all have different... Uh, 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 cultures and different flavors of things and culture and how we celebrate holidays and all that stuff is great and fine but there still should be a culture of Christ that we're all following that doesn't matter what nationality we are it doesn't matter what country we're living in whether we're communists or, or, or socialists or whether we're, we're, we're a constitutional republic or whatever it is we are that we should still have the same values I believe the scriptures were written well enough that the values of God stick no matter where we are it doesn't matter the color of your skin when it comes to God's values it doesn't matter your economic status your, your level of education. I'm just trying to tell you that his values stay true. They stand the test of time. Patrick Henry said, I have now disposed of all of my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that and I had not given them a single shilling, they would have been rich. And if they had not that then I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Understand this, you'll hear people say sometimes, look, God only cares about your heart. That is nowhere in the scripture. There is a scripture that says man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. He has the ability to see and know our heart even when we don't know our own. We talked about that in Proverbs. We also saw that in Jeremiah. God can do that. But he never says he doesn't care about your body. He never says, I don't care about your actions. And I can validate that by this scripture right here in Romans 12. Present your bodies. Everybody say bodies. Doesn't say heart, it says bodies. A living sacrifice. So our body, we should have our bodies subject to be living some kind of sacrifice. That means something that, that is a struggle for me. It's not easy. Sacrifice is never easy. It's usually something you don't necessarily want to do. 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. And so this isn't just presenting your heart. This is your bodies a living sacrifice, and that your bodies would be holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Now, we understand in that that there's no way we can do enough right things to be holy. We, we, we don't have that capacity. We can't be good enough, boys and girls, to be holy. But Him living in us and through us, and then our response to that and our obedience to the Word of God, we can be holy and righteous for our response to the grace of God, to the salvation of God. We can present ourselves absolutely holy and acceptable unto God. If he, he wouldn't ask us to do something we couldn't achieve, so to ask us to do th something, then it does make that acceptable to him. And then he says how we do it. And be not conformed. That word conform means to, to imitate or be in the likeness of. Don't, don't imitate the world. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformed is, a, is an actual metamorphosis. It's the caterpillar actually becoming a butterfly. It's not that the caterpillar grows wings and then it just flies now. Its diet changes. Its appetite changes. The way it sees things is different. It's on a different level. This thing is a totally different creature now. Be not conformed to this world. Don't imitate the world. But be ye transformed. Become new, new birth, a new person, a brand new person. Transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Matthew 22, 36. As the musicians make their way to the platform. Disciples are asking, they say, Master... Which is the great commandment in the law? This, this, is a, this is a big question. Jesus said, now this will be red letters in your Bible. If you have the red letter edition, this will be red letters. This is Jesus talking here. And Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And don't miss this part, because sometimes we trail off after that, because that's the great commandment. But, but, but don't miss this part. Because on these two commandments that I've just spoken... This is big. Hangs all. All the law and the prophets. Thousands of years of commandments and laws and prophecies is held up with the understanding that you need to love them with all. What I'm, what I'm trying to get us to understand is we better value this. If you want to start with some values, here's a good one to start with. 
the great commandment. Let that be a value in your life. Let, let that be something that, that, that you hold on to that is important to you more than gold. I got to get this one right. Faithfulness to the house of God, well, that's a good one. Not forsaking of yourselves together as a manner of uh, uh, the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the approaching. Yeah, it's good to be faithful to church, but before you get there, this great commandment, loving Him with all, loving your neighbor. He obviously didn't know my neighbor. I'm just joking. I got two great neighbors. But that hadn't always been the case. Love your neighbor. Love people that are easy to love, like yourself. Good thing you didn't say co-workers. Well, that's kind of in there. Neighbor basically is anybody that's not you. Anybody that's close to you, anybody that's 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 that you can talk to. Some of you may not even know each other today, but I said, turn to your neighbor and say, "Glad to see you today." You, you you'd instantly turn to the person near you. Doesn't mean they live next door to you. Next door to you. The entire law and the prophets hang on this: loving God with all and loving people around. We have to place high value on this for three reasons. Jesus said it, first of all. This isn't something that we can argue and say, well, one of the disciples say that, but I'm not sure that was inspired. Jesus himself says this. The second reason is it's called, and he even calls it, the great commandment. Not a mediocre suggestion. A mild inconvenience. This is known as the great commandment. This value we better get right. And the third reason is because he said all the law and the prophets hang on these two principles. If he put that much value in it, I want to make sure I get that right. I want to make sure that that's a value that I hold on to. Bob Logan is a minister and he writes this about church values. He says this, values are often unwritten in assumptions that guide our actions. Values demonstrate our convictions and priorities. Values are confirmed by our actions, not just our words. Values are not a doctrinal statement. They are convictions that determine how our church operates. Values provide the foundations for formulating goals and setting the direction of the church's ministry. Core values are five to ten key statements that reflect the distinctives of a church. Key issues for determining your core values. If the church were really the church, 
what would it be doing? What makes you angry? What do you get passionate about? How do you invest in time and money? What's your biggest criticism of the church? For what do you want your church to be known for? And what are the essential functions of the church? These are all things we have to find in Scripture. And not just a bunch of people as we get together and just think about it. We can get ideas, but we better make sure we then find it in the Word of God. As we all stand to our feet. Philippians 2 says this. Now understand I'm going to read some things. And it's going to say this. So I don't want you to miss this. Because in this, he's going to say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So these things I'm about to read, understand that he's expecting this to be alive in us. He's expecting these traits if we are believers, if we are disciples, if we are followers. You see, the devil is not concerned about your church membership. He's concerned about you conforming into the image of Christ. He's not concerned whether you attend or not. I think it's important that you attend, so that don't get me wrong. There, don't mis- misunderstand that. But the enemy's petrified that you'll become like Jesus and begin to take on his values and his attributes. This world will not be changed by your church, church attendance only. It will be changed when your core values and your the, what molds and shapes your decisions begin to reflect the Word of God. That's what will reach a lost and dying world. Philippians 2, starting at verse 1, If there be any, any, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but let lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of a man. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So let's review. We should in our values... If we're going to have the mind of Christ in us, we should have the kind of love that comforts people. We shouldn't be the kind of Christians that beat people up with doctrine, make them feel bad about themselves. If conviction happens, look, I got news for you. Conviction and condemnation both feel bad. Here's the difference. Our, Our goal isn't to make everybody happy and never have anybody feel bad. God will have people feel bad. It's called conviction. I feel bad when I do something wrong. It's called conviction. You're supposed to feel bad when you've done something wrong. The difference is I'm not supposed to feel like I'm wrong. My decision was wrong. My behavior was wrong. 
I feel like I, I feel so bad. I don't want to feel this way. I want to get up and do right. That's a God conviction. Condemnation is I'm horrible. I'm an awful person. I'm a terrible person. I, I just never want to try again. I never want to get in his presence again. That's condemnation. That's always of the devil. That's never of God. So when we project the love of Christ, there's going to be times that people should feel comfort. They should feel love. Even if times that love makes them feel a little conviction, but that's up to them and God. It's not for us to try to make somebody feel bad. Sometimes our very presence without saying a word sometimes makes people feel bad. Fellowship of the Spirit. We ought to be relational. There ought to be some fellowship we have in the Spirit. Bowels of mercy. We should be merciful clear down into our guts. Should pour out mercy on people. Having the same love. One mind. Unity. Nothing done through strife. Or vain glory, honoring others more than yourselves. Don't be selfish, but help look after others. Let this mind, his mind, be in you. This mind that was in Christ, that took upon himself the form of a servant. If I'd ask right now, how many of you want to be a servant? Probably all of us will raise our hands. The problem is, we all want to be servants until somebody treats us like one. Bible says he humbled himself and he took up his cross. We go into this new year, there's, there's going to be some values we're going to share with you of why we do what we do. There'll be some sacrifice, there'll be some struggle because it's flesh and most of how he does things is so opposite of what I think and do. Somebody despitefully uses me like them. Not only was I used, I was despitefully used. That means they enjoyed it. That means they purposely did it. That means they sought to hurt me. Pray for them? Okay, I'll pray for them. They slide under a gas truck. I don't think that's what he's talking about. But my flesh... First shall be last, and the last shall be first. That's a good one. The Bible is just full of those things like that. Somebody asks you to walk a mile? Hey, poor planning on your part isn't cause for an emergency on my part. If you didn't plan and bring a coat, It's not my fault. I did. I planned. I pray. Ask for your coat. Give him your jacket also. Oh, great. Ask you to walk a mile. Walk two. I didn't want to walk the one. You guys think I'm an awful person, but look, what I'm trying to do is make a point because you all think the same way. I'm just saying But because our values are his values, and the more we pray and the more we get in this presence, the more naturally we want to do these things because his nature is formed in us. Oh. 
the altar call is simple. God, this year as we come to this altar, help the things that are important to me be the things that are important to you. As this church begins to share the values that we think are pretty important that we should take a look at, and through this year, God should be talking to you individually about your individual things, but we're going to share some things that we think are pretty standard. A value system. i got to share this before we make this final appeal. My mom, and I know some of it was her, it's her stuff that's going on, but she has this big thing that she loved to say, I've been Pentecost all my life. She really glories in that. What does that mean? A certain look? Certainly there's nothing wrong with some of those things. But if you're not living some of these big, deep, brag about surface stuff. Don't, don't think because you have one area of discipline in your life that somehow you've arrived. When there's some values about love and sacrifice and things that, that, that we have to really get a hold of. So I said the altar call is very easy. If you want to say God this year, I want to grow. I really want to form my life around the things that are important to you. Because I don't know my own heart, and so my values and the things I may, I may, I may slip and slide on some of those things, but God, if I will put my trust in your word, the level of your word, then I will follow that. I open up this altar right now for us to come and pray and just say, God, let your word mold and shape my life. Let your word, God, be direction and let it create the values that you want me to have. Let me place priority and purpose and, and, and let me place effort and sacrifice into those areas that that you value, not just those things that I think are important, but God, those things that your word places value on.